Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 55 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week sees the return of my regular monthly questions and answers podcast and we have some really cracking questions as always. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. So welcome back to the podcast. And before we get started into the meat of the podcast, I wanted to say a quick hello to Linda Miser, who's listening to my podcast on her way to work. Linda, thanks for taking the time to drop me a message and to say that you were listening in. And thank you for your support on our Patreon page. Also, you may have seen my recent video upload to YouTube of my very recent acquisition, the Igneous Classico Pizza Oven. Don't worry, I'm not stopping my beekeeping videos and podcasts in favour of pizzas, although it was a very close-run thing. One final mention before we get into the questions and answers. I had a message from David at Buzzed Bees in Los Angeles, where David has unfortunately suffered a catastrophic loss of colonies, due to heavy rainfall causing a mudslide in his apiary, wiping out around 35 colonies. David is trying to recover and has asked for help and support via a GoFundMe page. If you would like to help, please do check out the show notes and you'll find a link there where you can go over to his GoFundMe page and check out the full details and see some of the pictures showing the havoc that Mother Nature has caused. David, I wish you all the very best in getting back up and running as soon as possible. So this month's questions come from my supporters on the Patreon page. If you're not familiar with it, check out the link in the show notes where you can sign up to access lots more content and in particular gain up to four weeks early access to the podcast, which will be particularly useful for beginner beekeepers as we go into the new season. So on with the questions. First up is from Harry Canaston, who asks... I wanted to ask you, as I've looked all over the place and found nothing, in one of your microscopy videos, you're looking at the identifying features of the black bee Apis mellifera mellifera. Where did you find that information? Is there a book or reference you can suggest? Thanks, Harry. Well, it's nice to hear from you, Harry, and thanks very much for the question. Probably the best place to look is the UK-based Bee Improvement and Bee Breeders Association website. That's www bibber.com i'll put that link in the show notes they've lots of information relating to native and near native bees on their website and you can also sign up to become a member and receive their newsletters attend meetings and access lots of other information for members only i've been working on a new online microscopy course which would have included some of that information but i've run into some technical online issues so have to delay the publication of that instead i'm going to make all of my older microscopy videos available via the patreon page under the microscopy tag so look out for those coming in the next weeks and you'll also be able to access that video regarding the near native bees as well Next up is a question from Gary Dodd, who asks, What are your views on increasing using two nucleus boxes before the colonies start preparing to swarm, so the bees produce emergency queen cells, which is also known as a walkaway split? I have read that this method is a good preemptive form of swarm control. This year I need to replace an ageing queen and increase 
from one to two colonies. Well, thanks for the question, Gary. If you check out my video list on YouTube, you'll see I use this method successfully on several different occasions. I'll be producing more increases myself with this method again this year. I call it the two nukes from one parent method, as I don't really like to completely walk away and, and leave them alone. I really need to come up with a new catchy name for it. If you've got any suggestions, then let me know. I guess the two from one method is the easiest to remember. This method will, of course, result in you having three colonies, not the two that you want to increase to. But once you have the three colonies up and running, you can select one to unite with the original colony, remove that queen and unite them using the newspaper method. Good luck with it and do let me know how it turns out. I'd love to hear back from you and see how you get on. Moving on to the next question. George Kelly asks a very straightforward question. Can you freeze Appy Pasta as I bought too much? For those of you who don't know the brand, Appy Pasta is a bee feed that comes in both liquid syrup and fondant forms and you can get it from Happy Valley Honey and again I'll put a link in the show notes for you. I can't recall if the feed I bought has a best before date on it, but I'm keeping my spare feed in the new workshop that I've got out of direct sunlight and away from direct heat. Interestingly, the syrup has become quite cloudy, probably due to the colder weather we briefly had in February, and I suspect it will clear naturally once it warms up a little. So to answer your question, I don't think you actually need to freeze it, but I don't think it will do it any harm if you do. Our next question comes from Ian Haslam. Hi Stuart, looking forward to 2019. Is it time to move the overwintered lower supers up and remove the mouse guards? And how about the woodpecker protection? When would be the right time to pop on a BB, that's a brood box, to draw some comb? Now with syrup feed or is that too soon and too cold? Ian. The under supering question also comes from Neil Main this week, so thank you both for that question and Ian for the other questions as well. As with lots of things in beekeeping, it's all about the timing. I have several brood boxes which have been under-supered, and that's where the super is placed between the floor and the brood box over the cold winter months. Local conditions will play a really important part here, so I would advocate making sure you check out your local conditions and factor those into the equation. However, I'm leaving my mouse guards, woodpecker protection and the under supers all in place until at least the end of this month. Conditions could turn quickly back to winter and the extra protection that it allows is at its most valuable at this time of the year when the bees are potentially at their most stretched. The question of drawing out another brood box is also about timing really but for me more specifically about overnight temperatures. Keep an eye on the overnight lows and wait until you could, for instance, plant out tender garden plants. Use that as a guide and wait for a good flow or feed them constantly and you should get a brood box drawn super fast. Too early and the bees will just shiver and look at the box, refusing stubbornly to move into it at all. And believe me, that's really frustrating. Be patient and you'll be rewarded with perfect comb drawn super fast. Another regular contributor to our Question and Answers podcast is Fran Barham. Hi, Fran. Uh, Fran asks, I did a Bailey comb exchange last year on all of my three hives and still lost my best one to a swarm. 
can we discuss the warm start to the year and how this might put us at risk of losing swarms earlier than usual? Also, what is your best swarm avoidance tactic? Well, more excellent questions from Fran. Thanks for sending them in. So let's look at the warm start to the year and what that might mean for our colonies. Well, the warm spell has disappeared as quickly as it arrived and we're now back into more normal temperatures for early March. The effect of the warm spell could have several knock-on effects to our colonies. Firstly, the bees will have been very active, far more active than we would have normally expected in February, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Workers were able to fly out and forage. I've seen so many posts on social media of bees loaded with pollen flying back to the hives. Anyone who bought in lots of pollen substitute might not actually need it this year. There's been so much pollen going in. The queen in these colonies will have no doubt increased her egg laying earlier than anticipated and this will have given a much larger brood area for an ever dwindling aging population of workers and one result of this and it's a negative result is that you could find chilled brood in the brood nest. When the coldest overnight temperatures hit the bees will have reformed a cluster to maintain the correct colony temperature but if the brood area exceeds the capabilities of the colony to keep it warm those larvae on the outer edge will die. Of course, if you have hygienic bees, you may not see this at all, as in due course the bees may well clean out the larvae before you get a chance to inspect them next time. Now could be a time where low stores in the hive might have a devastating effect and see colonies lost to starvation. If you have some fondant and you think your colonies may be a little low on food, then give them a bag or two. Better to use up the fondant now than to lose a colony so close to the start of the new season. Regarding the swarming, I don't think we'll see early swarms now that the weather has changed back to the cooler conditions. It's bee tradex this weekend, and I didn't attend last year because we had snow and ice on the roads around Norwich. Although the weather isn't that bad, it's still way too cold for swarms, and any thoughts that the bees had about swarming will have disappeared with the warm weather. That said, if colonies have started to increase earlier, then almost by default swarming could also start earlier. As we head into early spring, keep an eye out for drones when you perform your first regular inspections. They're a sure sign that swarming will soon be upon us. As for my favourite swarm avoidance tactic, well of course my bees never swarm so I don't have to worry about swarming. Perhaps on a more serious note, uh, the colonies that I have that I know are likely to swarm, I've already marked out for splitting, so that will keep them too busy to continue swarming, I hope. Other colonies that I don't want to swarm will be given my three strikes rule. That is, during each weekly inspection, if I see swarm cells, I'll endeavour to remove all of them. I do this on two consecutive weeks, and on the third weekly inspection, if they're still producing swarm cells, I'll split them by removing the queen and a few frames into a nuke box and knock down all but one of the remaining queen cells. I get an increase and hopefully don't lose so many bees that honey production is knocked back as well. I hope that helps, Fran. Anne Elvidge has sent in the next question. Hello, being in France, I have the most common type of hive here, the Dadent, and knowing no better, I've begun with straight frames set in metal spaces, which are very difficult to work with. So I wanted to change to Hoffman's. 
Last summer, I replaced the metal spaces with sliders and then tried to use plastic clips. When I had a look during the hot weather a week or two ago, I found that the clips had been pushed off true and there's propolis everywhere. What a mess. Can you suggest how I can change to proper Hoffman's, please? Well, hi, Anne. I remember all too well in my early days of beekeeping trying to change colonies over from different types of frames and different types of hives. I was mostly changing from national beehives to commercials, and with so many different types of frames available out there, it can become a mess very quickly in pretty much the way that you describe in trying to change over to Hoffman's. For those of you out there confused by the term Hoffman, it refers to the type of frame that's self-spacing. Rather than having straight sides, it has a wider waist at the top that forces the frames to sit at the specific distance from the next one, and this can be used instead of castellated spaces or the little plastic rectangles that fit over the lugs or even spaces that then fit on the sides of the frames. There are so many options available, there's little wonder it gets very confusing for people. I gave up trying to replace and swap out frames just because of the problems that you've encountered, Anne. My preferred method now is to replace all of the frames all in one go using a shook swarm. This method is quick and simple to perform and has several benefits. Firstly, you remove all of the old comb with whatever pests and diseases it might be harbouring. Secondly, and in your case more importantly, you replace the frames in one hit with the frame types you want to use. And thirdly, it can be used as a great swarm prevention method as you're removing any and all queen cells from the colony, as well as all of the brood that was previously in there. The only downsides that you have are the bees need warmer weather and a good nectar flow to quickly draw out new comb, and you get a brood break that will temporarily reduce your colony strength. That said, I think the advantages vastly outweigh the disadvantages. I have a Shook Swarm video on my YouTube channel, so perhaps take a look at that if you want to see it in action. Finally, if you don't want to carry out a Shook Swarm, you could go with a Bailey comb change, and there's also a video demonstrating that method on my YouTube channel as well. Good luck with it, and please do let me know how you get on. Next up, we have a question from James Gallagher. Hi, Stuart. I have a question about queens coming out of winter and starting to lay. I had a quick look at a hive I had requeened last September as a last resort because I had not seen eggs since the start of August. When I looked last week, I found a nice black queen, but not the marked one I'd put in. I'm presuming she, I think James means the old queen, was there all along, but had stopped laying. It looked like she had just started laying again on one frame, but it looked like there was some drone brood and some eggs laid on the side walls of the cells, as if she was a newly mated queen. Have you ever seen mated queens coming out of winter that start laying some drone brood and eggs on the side walls, and then start laying right again once they get going, or is this a doomed colony? What would you suggest I do? Many thanks, James. Well, hi, James. It's a really interesting situation and it's always nerve-wracking for the beekeeper in question as you're waiting to see what the outcome is going to be. And as you say, are they fine or are they doomed? Is it possible you still have two queens in the colony? It's certainly not unheard of. And I've had a two-queen scenario in my colonies before at this time of the year and it's all worked out fine. That said, if she is the old queen and the only queen, I wouldn't have expected her to have had such a lengthy brood break that she's now misfiring and laying drone brood, and certainly not laying on the side walls of the cells. So, 
Could she have run out of sperm and be a drone layer, maybe? Do you have laying workers in there? Are there lots of eggs in the cells? And by that, I mean a lot more than just one or two or three. Is it possible that she could be misfiring? Is the drone brood clustered together, or is it spread across frames in ones and twos? I think that due to the colder weather we now have, you'll have to sit tight and wait for it to warm up a bit. Only then will you be able to get back into the colony and have a really good look. There is no simple answer apart from wait and see, really. Perhaps you could message me next time you inspect, and I'll update everyone here on the podcast and perhaps help you out with some more advice. Next, we have a simple and straightforward question from Fred Mollison. Hi, Fred. Uh, He says, Stuart, does sublimation penetrate sealed brood? So, Fred, I think here is talking about treating bees with oxalic acid using the sublimation method, which is where the oxalic acid is vaporised rather than the trickle method where you mix the oxalic acid into sugar syrup. The simple answer is no. Varroa mites that are hidden in capped cells are protected from the effects of the oxalic acid treatment regardless of the method. I actually went through several scientific papers this week to double check my facts and can confirm that they all said oxalic acid doesn't penetrate the cells. I guess that's why in winter we're looking to treat with oxalic acid in a broodless period or as near broodless as possible, and why in the summer months, if you treat with oxalic acid, it's performed over a three to four week period. Well, I hope that helps, Fred. And our final question comes from Jeff Kiley. Hi, Stuart. When you feed candy at this time of the year, do the bees feeding play a worker role in passing the candy properties to the other bees within the colony, or do they retain the food source just for themselves? I'm reviewing the way I feed them to ensure maximum uptake across the full brood. An observation I would make is that I was told that bees would only take the candy if the winter honey stores were dangerously low. As the recent weather made it possible to inspect, I found considerable levels of stores, but the bees were still consuming high levels of candy. I look forward to receiving your 2019 videos. Kind regards, Jeff. Well, hi, Jeff, and thanks very much for the question. I would say that from my personal experience, I couldn't say if the bees feeding on the fondant through the winter months just feed themselves or whether they continue to work together in feeding each other. But it does make sense that the latter is the correct option as it benefits the individual as well as the colony to ensure the survival of their sisters within the brood nest over winter in particular. Regarding the selection of food, I would say I disagree with the suggestion that the bees will only take fondant if they're dangerously low on stores within the comb. From my experience, the workers seem very willing to take advantage of accessible food stores being provided in addition to the capped honey that they already have. It seems they know they have stores safely set aside, so why risk depleting those stores when there's an additional amount of food that's been made available to them? It would be like turning down a home-delivered pizza because you have one in the freezer. Mmm, pizza. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm off to cook a pizza, and we'll catch up next time. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. (laughs) 